What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, work party listeners, money talks and so do we. We're talking to the best and brightest minds in finance for a special five-part work party money move series. Whether you want to learn about building generational wealth, strengthen your financial future as an entrepreneur, or perfect your pitch, our experts have you covered. New episodes go live every Friday, so be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast, and you'll never miss an episode again. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real tech advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman, from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. We're kicking off this season of Money Moves with a financial literacy trailblazer who's on a mission to make wealth attainable for anyone. Dominique Broadway is an award-winning personal finance expert, speaker, and founder of Finances Demystified, a platform that's demystifying money and making financial literacy accessible to everyone. After years of learning, practicing, and implementing her own personal finance tactics, Dominique earned a bachelor's and master's degree in business and finance, which led her to landing roles at major corporate brokerage firms like UBS and Edelman. But after witnessing firsthand the high barrier of entry for investing, Dominique walked away from clients investing tens of millions of dollars and set out to spread the word of financial literacy. Since founding Finances Demystified, Dominique has been named one of the top financial advisors in the United States for millennials and continues to work passionately with young professionals, entrepreneurs, and families, helping them bring their dreams to reality. Dominique is here to share her advice on investing in yourself and owning your worth so that you can take control of your financial future. Welcome, Dominique. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always really exciting to hear like someone else speak to your accomplishments. So. <laughs> yes, very impressive. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And before we hit the ground running with tips and tricks, I'd love for our listeners to learn more about your background. I gave a little bit of color, but where did you learn the importance of financial planning and what led you to this expertise? Yeah, good question. So I would say I kind of learned it from, from my family. So my mom was an accountant and my grandfather was the chief of IT for the Department of Defense. And they both 
we're just always constantly drilling, drilling the importance of, you know, as my grandfather used to say, he would say, there's two people in life. What are they, Dominique? And I'm like, they're spenders and they're savers. And I would say this like as a child, I didn't really know what I was saying. Now I'm realizing more and more that he wanted me to just understand that, you know, when you get money, you're not just blowing it, you're saving it, you're investing it and making it grow. So that's really kind of where it started for me. And then I, I really just got intrigued, more and more intrigued, you know, being a serial child entrepreneur. I love starting businesses as a kid. And then when I was about 16, I just got really, really intrigued about, about the stock market. And so I started teaching myself how to trade and invest when I was 16. And as, as savvy as my family were about money, they didn't know anything about the investing piece at all. And I remember going to them saying like, I want to start investing. I want to buy a stock. Can you help me? And they're like, Honestly, I can't. Like, we don't really know. We didn't have YouTube back then, but <laughs> just started reading magazines and finding books, going to the library and just started teaching my, teaching myself about uh, trading and investing. And that really just like sparked my love with all things investing and like financial planning and wealth building. I love that so much. It's so true. Like a lot of people don't know where to start. You can make a lot of money, but then knowing what to do with it is a totally different yeah. story. And it sounds like from a young age, you just naturally folded the topic of money into your life. You were curious, interested, teaching yourself. But why do you think women have such a subconscious limiting belief when it comes to money that they can't go out and make that money on their own and put it in stock market and be successful? Can you talk us through that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of that has to do with your family, how you're raised, even a lot of the societal beliefs that, you know, I know traditionally, you know, when I worked with a lot of these high net worth individuals, a lot of them were, were older, right? Maybe in their 60s or 70s. A lot of times if a couple came in, the wife would literally say nothing, right? The husband would do all the talking and like making the decisions if they even came in, right? Sometimes we would only see the wives like on certain events. But I think now that, you know, society has, has shifted you know, women and, and everyone is just really interested in taking control, not just get, putting that responsibility to the other person. Right. And so I think just a lot of the kind of society and, and just, you know, our culture has made it a thing that it's like, oh, the man handles that. Right. But now women were like, listen, we want to manage our finances, make the money, maybe be the breadwinner and make that multiply. It, right. So it's really exciting now just seeing people take more control over that and realizing like if you want to create a million dollar company or a billion dollar company or a trillion dollar company you can do that like that's in your control to do so so it is exciting to see that women are starting to think a lot bigger because before it's like we almost weren't even allowed to have those thoughts you know mm -hmm. we weren't even allowed to have bank accounts for a very long time and then also being a woman of color obviously there's even other limitations that came into that. So now women are finally starting to own um, that they can be in charge. They can be in charge of their finances. Yeah. And, and to your point, you know, you've sat in on these meetings with high net worth individuals as part of your early career. What were some of the questions that surprised you the most that you were getting in those meetings? It's interesting. The questions would be not necessarily the questions that, that I would see, like when I started working with clients that weren't multi-laners, right? I would say the clients that had money, they were most focused on preserving their wealth, like ways to limit their tax liability. How can I pass this on to my grandchildren? Mm. My, like literally people would come in and say, my daughter's pregnant. What can I do now? 
to put things in place for my future grandchild. And, you know, maybe she still has six, seven months. I mean, they were always thinking about the future versus when I met people who had a poor mindset, not necessarily poor, but a poor money mindset. They were only thinking about next week or the next two weeks. Right. I would say other things. One of the things I thought I thought was funny was a lot of times when we would meet people in like the medical professions, like doctors, right. Who just make tons of money, but were just like bad with money. Right. So they were making tons of money and investing tons of money. When it came to managing the day to day, it's like, Mr. So-and-so, you cannot write checks out of this account. You know, you're overdrafting the account. Now, although the account has a half a million dollars in it, but that's not what's in cash. That's what's investments. And so it was like always silly. Like you can't write checks out of this account. He's like, why are my checks bouncing? And I'm like, dude, I told you. you can't. Like, I mean, so I always thought that was really funny. I'm like, doctors are like the worst. Like they don't, I don't know if you have that side of the brain. It's like, they're like the yeah, worst. totally different sides of the brain for yeah, sure. So that was always really interesting for sure. But I would say, well, the people were just always thinking about the future and not worried about tomorrow. Okay, so let's get down to some saving and budgeting basics. A lot of us want to have money in the bank, but actually doing it is the hard part. How much should we be saving now so we have enough for the future? Yeah, so that's a hard question, right? That That's a really hard question. I say, I would say this, I will, I'm going to give an answer, but I'll say this, I'll kind of preface it with saving is important, right? For the future, that's, we're going to talk about that. But honestly, the most important thing that you can do right now to get your, your future self in place to be successful is to create multiple streams of income. That's really going to be the key. And I'm going to tell you why. When it comes to saving, you know, it's great. You know, retire, there's, a retire, there's retirement accounts and 401ks and Roth IRAs and all these different things. But these accounts have a lot of times small contribution limits, right? So a Roth IRA, you can only put 6K a year. Your 401k, I think now is 18,500 outside of what your company may match. But think about it this year, if you're this way, if you're putting $18,000 a year, you're maxing out your 401k, which most people aren't doing, but you're used to making 100,000 a year, but you're only putting away 18,000 a year. Right? So let's say by the time, you know, you, you do retire and you saved up $500,000, half a million dollars. That's a lot, right? That's good. But you're used to living off of $100,000 a year. So you tell me if you're, if you're, if you're used to living off a hundred thousand a year and you have 500,000 saved, how many years is that going to last you? Five years, five years, five years. Right. (laughs) So I'm like, how is that going to work? So your plan, if your plan is to retire and only live for five years and go for it. But the big question is outside of how much to save, the first question is, what do you want your life to look like in retirement? And then when do you want to retire? I'm personally not trying to work till I'm 65. So I need to get my coins in place over the next five or so years because that's when I would love to slow down a little bit. So the question is like, what do you want your life to look like in retirement? Do you still want to live off 100,000 a year? Do you want to live off 20,000 a year? Do you want to live off 50,000 a year? And that's going to help you determine what your target number is. And that is also factored by like, when do you want to retire? Right. So I would say, you know, start thinking about what do you want your life to look like in retirement? And when do you want to retire? I think the way that like retirement 
is phrased now is different, right? It's not like back in the day, it's like you work to 65 and then at 65, you retire, you get your little social security, you move to Florida, you know what I mean? And you live off of that. Nowadays, people like, look, I'm trying to just, you know, maybe work really, really hard until maybe like 45, 50. And then from there, I want to, you know, maybe make money off of the internet or you have other streams of income coming in, but slowing down my work, not necessarily 100% quitting. And so I would say with that being said, if you need a bare bones starting point, you know, putting at least 10% away a year is ideal. But like I said, if you're making a hundred thousand a year and you're putting 10% away, which is $10,000, that's still not enough. So that's why I feel like, you know, having those multiple streams is even more important than just focusing on savings. But if you're starting to save, I would say saving at least 10% a year of your of your salary is important and doing that, you know, consistently and automatically is the key. So if you're like, hey, I want to save a thousand dollars a month, having it set up where maybe you're doing five hundred dollars every two weeks it happens automatically, like literally open up your little banking app, click transfer, change it to an auto every two weeks, you know, blah, blah, blah on whatever date and make that happen consistently is going to be very important. Yeah, like it never even happened. It's just gone. It's in yeah. an account. Don't like, even think for, about it. <laughs> yeah, don't even think about it. All right, so let's talk about debt payoff. What advice do you have for fast and efficient payoff? And do you have any preferred strategies? Yeah, yeah. So I would say when I got myself into like a, a crappy, crappy situation, if anyone follows me, you know, I share my story all the time how, you know, after starting my business, I went broke, my car got repossessed, house went into foreclosure, all that worst case scenarios happened, right? Although I was able to get all those things back, thank God. But when I did sit down and start figuring out like how to pay off the debt, I had to kind of put my own strategy in place, right? So, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, there's a snowball, an avalanche, which, you know, any financial professional will say, focus on paying off the debt with the highest interest rate first, which totally makes sense. However, for me, when I was struggling, I needed some quick wins, okay? I needed some quick wins to feel like I was knocking things out. So I made a list of all my debts and I started tackling the ones with the smallest balance first, only because I needed quick wins to feel like I was accomplishing something. Because some of my debt that I had with higher interest rates had bigger balances, which would have made me feel like, oh, this is taking forever. It's never going to happen, right? So I personally started tackling the debts with the smallest interest rates first and then started tackling the debts with the highest interest rates and just started knocking them out one by one. That was personally what I did. So I would say for you, figure out what is best, right? Is it is it tackling the lowest interest rates or I mean the highest interest rates, the lowest balances, blah, blah, blah. Those are two main strategies. But you can also create your own strategy based on what will work best for you. And I will also say if you do have debt, another thing that helped me was getting an an additional stream of income to knock that debt out, right? So I had my business, but I went on and took on an additional consulting opportunity at the time, which allowed me to start tackling that debt faster as well. I love that. And so you mentioned multiple revenue streams. You talk about taking on additional consulting work. What are some of the most popular revenue streams that people can sort of think about? Because I think a lot of people might have a nine to five and they're like, how can I have additional revenue streams? I'm working all the time. Like, what does that look like? Can you give some examples of popular diversifications? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Well, I will say you guys know I'm, I'm, I'm a lover of, of investing, right? So obviously figuring out how to 
start investing or maybe even trading or even if you're just investing, having your money in the market so that you can take advantage of when the market's growing. That's been a great way for me to kind of create an additional stream and grow my wealth for myself and for my children. But outside of that, you know, some people do, you know, Uber or Uber Eats or or Lyft or things like that, you know, if that's something that you're into. But a lot of people now are starting to utilize the internet, right? Being able to, to go online and maybe launch a podcast and turn that into an additional revenue stream with sponsorships or, you know, maybe even I've seen people launch little ebooks, right? Maybe create a little, a little $5 ebook and you set a goal of selling five, I mean, selling a hundred of them a month. That's 500 bucks, right? If we're like, you know, for the average person, that can be a game changer or you can use that just to pay off additional things. But I would say make a list of the things that you're good at. And the things that you're good at are probably those things that people are asking you about all the time, right? You may have that one, like you realize like people are all, for me, people are always asking me about financial advice and how to do this and how to do that. Maybe there's an opportunity to monetize that. Or, you know, I've met people who were just really, really good at making cakes. And then they started, you know, just making good, cute little cakes on the side. And that turned into a thing. Or, you know, actually then I've even seen people who got really good at making cakes and then they started a course on making cakes. And now they have an online business in addition to a physical product. So I would say, sit down and think about all the things that you're good at that people are probably asking you for help with or advice with anyway. And, and figure out a way to monetize, you know, that, that talent to bring in additional streams. When women-owned small businesses thrive, we all thrive. Learn more about the tools and resources MasterCard is offering from moving your biz online to best practices on digital security at mastercard.com slash smallbiz. Together, let's start something priceless. Let's talk about the opposite side of this. Can you share three simple and fast ways to curb spending and save money? So obviously you're trying to make all the money, have the diversified revenue streams, but then let's say you keep spending it. Like what are some simple steps to pull that back a little bit. Ooh, got some spenders here. Okay. So I would say one of the first things you got to figure out, like, what's your trigger, right? For me, it's Fendi. I'm not going to lie. If I'm in the mall and I see a Fendi (laughs) store, I always have to stop. Even if I was there a week ago, I'm just like, let me just see if anything new is in there. Right. That's my trigger. So sometimes I just try, like, I just won't even go on that side of the mall. I was like, "Mm mm-mm. If I'm going to eat at the mall or whatever, just don't go over there because I know I always have to stop in, right? And then boom, a few thousand dollars later, I've spent money. It's a trigger. So I would say for me, you got to identify what that trigger is. Another one of my triggers is my mom. I love my mom. But whenever I'm with her, she always wants to stop at a Marshalls. I always end up in the Marshalls. And then a few hundred bucks later, I've spent money that I was not planning to spend today. So I would say kind of figure out what your triggers are. And obviously, like I said, I can't avoid my mom. But, you know, kind of figuring out how you can avoid or look for other ways to kind of fill like those gaps, right? Outside of that, I would say, you know, really starting to look at your money. Like that's one of the things that I think people don't do. If you looked at your money more frequently, it will also kind of motivate you and trigger you to maybe take a pause. Because if you were looking at your checking account and you saw that you only had X amount of dollars or you saw that you've already racked out a certain, racked up a certain amount of credit card debt on your card, it will probably put a little bit of a hesitation in you to make or buy additional things, right? I would say another thing is, you know, I'm not saying you have to get off of social media because, you know, you don't have to do all that, but maybe reducing the time that you spend on social media. I've seen when I used to work with clients one-on-one, 
Social media, a lot of times, was trig- was a trigger for people. You're sitting on, you know, you're sitting at home. You pick up your phone. You scrolling through. Oh my gosh! Now an ad hit you. Now you bought, you know, a bunch of random things online. Or, or you know, you see your friend is in uh, Turks and Caicos and it looks super cute. Now you're booking a trip to Turks and Caicos. And so for some people, that can be a trigger, right? It could be a big trigger for them. So I would say that's enough. Those are those are some of the things that that have worked for me, but also just setting kind of like balance alerts and just spending alerts in general, right? So that you know what's coming in and out of your account. And that's something that you can literally just do within your own banking app. So those are some of the things that have worked for me. I don't believe in like the no spend days and cutting the coffee and blah, blah, blah. Like that's not what life's about. Like you're going to need to spend money most days, right? You're going to want to get your little Starbucks. That's fine. I would focus more, and I think especially as women, we need to focus more on not necessarily always cutting back, but starting to focus more on abundance. How can I make money so that I can walk up in Fendi anytime that I want? How can I make money so that I can stop at Starbucks every day if I desire? How can I make more money so that I don't necessarily have to focus too much on on curbing my spending, right? So I would say, you know, those are ways to tackle it. But then also I want us to start thinking more abundantly, especially as women, so that we can have all the desires that we that we want met. Yes, I love that so much. So let's switch from personal finance to business finance. Okay. What are some of the biggest money mistakes you see young entrepreneurs making when starting their businesses? Ooh, so I would say some of the biggest things that, that I've seen people do is one, it's actually, it's, it, this kind of goes both ways. One, I would say hiring too soon, right? Hiring too soon. So maybe before there's even any revenue or before it even makes sense, just hiring too soon and having just a really, really, really high burn rate, right? So they're burning 10, 20, 30, 40K a month and they have $0 in revenue. I think that that's silly, right? Unless you have people on your team that's helping you to generate money quicker. But I've seen a lot of people who are literally hiring people to replace some of their own tasks and they're not, these people, these employees aren't necessarily on any revenue generating activities. And so you're just you know, throwing away money every month. But I've also seen another issue people make sometimes when it goes to hiring is not hiring soon enough. I think sometimes people also, people need to look for ways to quickly increase revenue. And sometimes the quickest way to do that is by hiring staff that you can put directly onto revenue generating activities. Um, Other things that I've seen people do is just completely ignoring their business finances. This is probably the most common thing. Like business owners, and listen, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I have what, 20 something employees, or whatever, I get it. But like, we get so excited that we, that we literally just like, aren't looking at our money at all. Right. And so that, that's the biggest thing that I've seen. I've, I've met entrepreneurs and they're like, I never look at my business bank account. I don't file taxes. I've never filed taxes. You know, I don't know how much money my business brung in. I don't know how much m- money my business is spending. And so that's the other thing, knowing, you know, your two, as I like to call them, your two magic numbers. How much money is your business bringing in every month? How much money is, does it cost to run the business every month? And those two magic numbers also apply to your personal finances. So I would tell, you know, a new entrepreneur or business owner, like the amount of energy that you're putting into your cute little website and getting your Instagram page popping and your TikTok popping and all that stuff, that's great. 
but also put the same amount of energy into your business finances because you need to have healthy business finances to ensure that you can thrive. So make sure, you know, if you're if you need to hire the CPA or maybe even just a bookkeeper or something like that, invest into into those things so that you can have a healthy financial foundation for your business. Yes, you've got to know those two magic numbers. That's so important. Okay, so let's get back to investing. If someone is new to investing or has a limited amount of funds available for investing, where should they start? Hmm, good question. So I always say if, if you're like, you're new to this or you're like, I don't have a bunch of money, I would really start with probably just making a list of all the companies that you already use, right? So if you you know, you know, a little while ago, Amazon just dropped a p- bunch of packages off in my house, right? I'm always at Amazon. I had some Starbucks this morning, right? You look around your office, look around your house, whatever. You'll realize that there's a bunch of brands sitting right here, Apple, whatever, that you already frequently use. So those are the people that I would start investing in because these are companies you're already familiar with. You understand how they work. You know their products. You know their services. You don't have to do too much fundamental analysis because you know you already use them. So I would start there. Make a list of all the companies that you already use and then pick an investment investment account, right? So this could be Robinhood or, or Acorns or E-Trade or Fidelity, whoever you want it to be. It doesn't matter, public, whatever. And open up an account there, right? And then the third step is to figure out how much you want to start investing with. Now, the cool thing with all with the rise of like all these fintech companies, you can literally start investing a lot of times with a little, as little as $5, right? So you can literally say, listen, I got 10 bucks, I'm going to take this $10 and I'm going to invest into Apple. Now, Apple stock right now is trading at like around 100, 160, 100, I think 160 or so bucks, right? So you're probably thinking, well, hey, Dominique, $10 isn't going to buy me a whole stock. It's not, but it's going to buy you what we call a fractional share, which is a little piece. So that now you have $10 worth of Apple stock. And as you get more money, you can add more and more and more, which eventually will equate to a whole share. But even though you only have a fraction of the share, you're still earning money. So when Apple's making those moves, your little fraction is moving on up with it or down with it, right? So that's literally all you have to do. I would say make a list of the the companies you already invest in, pick an investment account, pick how much you want to invest, and then just start investing. So what's the difference between investing and trading and why would you consider one over the other? Yes. So I personally do both, right? So investing is literally when you are just taking money, putting it in and kind of walking away. That's kind of like the buying and holding. You're you're buying stocks and you're planning to hold them over time. So when you invest, you understand that you're looking to make your money grow and that you're going to see a return over time, right? When you're when you're trading, you're looking for shorter term gains, right? You're looking to make money in the next hour or the next five minutes or uh, in the next week or even month or quarter, right? So you're buying something and you're planning to sell it soon for a, a profit, right? So myself, I trade, I was I was placing some trades this morning. You know, I trade typically probably about three, four days a week. And then I also have my investments that I buy and I just hold over time. So people like myself who do trade, we're looking to make money more frequently, right? And I do that to, to create additional, an additional stream of income for myself. But I also have my investments that I just buy, like Apple stock, and I hold it over time. And I have no plans of letting them, letting them go anytime soon. Yeah, got it. Okay, cool. And so what does it mean to build an income producing portfolio? Yeah. So building an income producing portfolio means exactly what it says. It's a portfolio that is literally producing income for you, right? This could be income that you're taking out every week. 
income that you're taking out every month, every quarter, right? So I know when I used to work with a lot of those high net worth clients, especially the ones that were nearing retirement, they would come in and say, okay, Dominique, I have, you know, usually like, you know, $5 million and I need this $5 million to generate, I'm just going to throw a number, at least $250,000 a year for me. What can we do, right? So then we would go build a portfolio, typically of high dividend paying stocks, that's going to generate the returns that this person is needing so that they can live off of the money without actually having to draw down from the 5 million. So we would literally create a portfolio that the 5 million would stay in and continue to grow, but it would generate income or returns that we could pull from, right? Without actually having to pull from the actual balance, I mean, the, the actual 5 million. So that's another, that's a way of making your money work for you, right? So instead of, I gave that example earlier, that if you put money into a retirement account, $500,000, and you're drawing down $100,000 a year, that would only last five years. But if you have a strategy in place where that $500,000 is growing and generating income, then it can last longer because you're not drawing down from the $500,000, you're taking the income from it as it comes in, as it's generated. And so when it comes to investing, are there things that people can take advantage of that are already at their fingertips? Like you mentioned a 401k, a Roth IRA, like what are some of those easy, quick wins that people can take advantage of? Yeah, I would say an easy, quick win is honestly just opening up a regular investment account. I think sometimes people get a little overwhelmed, but I was, you know, with all the different investment accounts, but I would say a quick win is just go to one of these, any of these investment accounts and just open up an individual account and boom, you could be up and running in five minutes, right? Another quick win for most people is actually utilizing your retirement account that you have at work. You will be so surprised how many people just don't even utilize their retirement accounts at work, right? So if you're putting some money in there, or if you have an investment account that you're eligible for, start there. Just toss some money in, you know, get a mutual fund or ETF or something like that, which is an exchange traded fund or, or a mutual fund, which essentially are just baskets of stocks, right? You can literally, you know, do that pretty quickly. Yeah, I love that. I thank you for clarifying all those different terms because I think for some people it can, like to your point, it could feel overwhelming. So let's talk about the, our relationship with money and having a positive mindset. What advice can you share for cultivating a healthy relationship with money right now and making it last through ups and downs? Mm, that's good. It can be hard, right? For that, for that um, healthy relationship to healthy relationship with money or healthy relationship in general, but healthy relationship with money to last like through those ups and downs for sure. Right. But I would say, you know, it's really important to first kind of figure out like, what is your relationship with money? Like, do you have a relationship where you're like, I never look at my bank accounts or are you like obsessed with your money and you're looking at them all the time? Are you a hoarder when it comes to money? Meaning that you save, you save a lot, which is great, but but you have it just sitting in cash because you're scared to invest it. So it's not growing. Right. But then also thinking about like, what was your first experience with money as a child? Because that, believe it or not, has a huge, huge impact on like how you probably manage money now. So I would say kind of spend some time and think like, what was what was it like as a, as a child? Like was my were, was it like, my, you know, my family was always talking about money. We we were good. We were, you know, probably middle class, maybe even at some points, upper middle class. But, you know, always at least middle class. Right. But we talked about money all the time. Like we just open conversations. I would sit down with my mom at the first of the month when I was a kid and she would pull out her little checkbook 
And like, it was super cute. They had little flowers on them and Bible verses. And we were right, you know, she would say, here, Dominique, fill out the check. And I would fill out the check. She would sign it. And so it was just something that was normal, right? So, but there's also some people who were like, hey, I grew up and, you know, my mom was like, don't answer the phone because it's bill collectors and, you know, just completely avoiding it. So you have to realize, like, I've met people who are like that. They're like, listen, I still literally avoid answering my phone. I don't check my mail. I don't check my bank accounts because I'm just used to avoiding finances. So I would say it's important for you to understand what that first relationship was and then determining what relationship you have. And then you can kind of figure out any shifts you need to make to improve that relationship so that you can kind of break any negative, you know, relationships that you have when it comes to money. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, really, what did you grow up around when it came to money? And you and I had a very similar experience. My mom was also an accountant. So very similar there. Okay, so you offer everything from investing masterclasses to digital finance boot camps. But tell us more about your classes, your social series, and, you know, what cities you're headed to next and how people can learn more from you. Yeah, yeah. So we have tons of amazing classes. We have our Finances Demystified Bootcamp, which we've had a little over 14,000 students go through. We have our Wealth Transfer Investing course, which teaches people about trading and investing. We actually just launched our Crypto Demystified, which I'm really excited about, which is a finally a scam-free way to teach people just about the basics of crypto, which, which is awesome. And then we have the social series where we have our next series coming up in Washington, D.C., where I'm actually from, May 21st. And then we have two more stops coming up after that is Houston and Atlanta. So just make sure you're following me, you know, at Dominique Broadway on Instagram. We'll be sharing as we're releasing those dates. Amazing. And let's wrap with some sentence finishers. Okay. I'm not productive unless my day starts with. Ooh, I'm not productive unless my day starts with coffee. (laughs) Amen. And being financially independent is freeing. If I had $50,000 right now, I would invest it in Hmm. Real estate. Thank you so much, Dominique. So our listeners can connect with you online and learn more about your masterclass. I definitely want to take the crypto one. That sounds really interesting. (laughs) And listeners, if you want more money and finance advice, we're dropping new Money Moves episodes every Friday. Tune in next week for a look into the systems and dynamics that generated the gender wealth gap and how our guest Amber Vensbox is changing that narrative by helping small businesses gain greater financial success. Thank you so much, Dominique, for being here. We're excited to learn more and we're going to make some money moves. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.